Hi there, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast and to this week's episode of Smashing the Ceiling with me, Naomi Mella. If you're a new listener, hi, I am so pleased to have you on board. On this podcast, we love to showcase the lives of women who have achieved amazing things in their careers, those who have got a really cool or unusual job, and some who have just had a really interesting life. Each week, I sit down with one woman to dig a little deeper into the how of it all. How did they get where they are? How did they pick themselves up when things didn't go right? And how did their mentors, mistakes, and motivations lead them to achieve the things that they have? My guest this week, Shireen Kassam, has not one but two successful careers. And no, she hasn't quit one for another. She does both at the same time, combining the corporate world of strategy consulting with the creative world of stand-up comedy. Shireen was a shy child, but tried stand-up for the first time after reluctantly escorting her drunk housemate to a comedy club. It's fair to say that she has progressed quickly, winning multiple awards with her show Funny Brown Girl and performing worldwide from New York to Saigon. In 2018, she hosted the inaugural Jubilee Arts International Talent Showcase in Lisbon and has previously appeared on HBO and a host of other platforms. Shireen's comedy draws on her relationship with her South Asian Muslim parents, as well as what it's like to be Asian in post 9-11 America, and she is not afraid to mine material that others might be nervous of tackling. She is an honest, hilarious podcast guest, and it was such a pleasure to chat to her. So let's get into it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Shireen. Um, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, and usually I start with guests at the beginning just to say, wind back to your childhood a little bit. Like, what were you like as a kid and what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? Oh, man. When I was a kid, I didn't really have any dreams. You know, that it's funny because I people always ask me that. They're like, what do you want to be when you were a kid? And it was it was never my choice what I wanted to be. It was always what my dad wanted me to be. And it was always like I was going to be a doctor or a lawyer or I was going to be a business person because those were the three occupations South Asians could be. Um, <laughs> so those were the only things I, I could dream of being. Like I had a little medical kit that I used to be able to play with. And then my dad would give me file folders to play with and pens. So, I mean, it wasn't the most creative <laughs> childhood. Uh, so, and I was very quiet as a kid too. I, I just, I, I guess also like South Asian women tend to be very quiet. We kind of follow in our parents' footsteps and our mom's footsteps. So I was a very quiet kid. I didn't really express myself. I didn't, I didn't say anything that would make them think at any point that I was not going to become a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and is your dad a doctor, is he? No, my dad is not a doctor. He's a business person, but he, he has one of those mentalities where me, I have a twin sister as well. And my twin sister and I need to fulfill all the dreams that he didn't get to fulfill because he didn't have those opportunities. So being a doctor was one of them. So um, you said you were pretty, pretty quiet at school. So you went the the person on stage in high school doing comedy and plays and theater and all that kind of thing. Oh, no, no, no. I hated that stuff. I had to take speech class. And I remember the, the teacher wanted me to join the debate team. And I was like, yeah, that's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only doing this because my grade counts on it. But other than that, I am not speaking in public. Because <laughs> I find public speaking still really quite a daunting prospect. I think it's something a lot of people struggle with, isn't it? And and actually getting up on stage, not only to do public speaking, but also to do comedy, that's a big step from where you were when you were younger. Oh, yeah, totally night and day. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it was in my cards <laughs> to do a complete 
180 switch, but it has been the best, uh, best decision I've ever made in my life. After leaving school, Shireen went to college at Brown University. Literally, my only reference point for Brown as a British person is that Blake Lively's character in Gossip Girl wanted to go there, and it was considered an excellent choice by her parents. Yes, the truth is, I love a little trashy TV on Netflix from time to time as much as any of you lot. Shireen studied economics and international relations, and we picked up from when she finished college. And um, and how did your career progress kind of when you left university? Like what happened after that? And what did you direction did you think you wanted to take at that point? Again, it was one of those career decisions that I wasn't really getting to make. My dad was like, well, you can either go and be an investment banker on Wall Street in New York, or you can become a doctor still like he was still keen on this medical school thing, even though I couldn't finish my pre med requirements, because I realized that I don't like blood. It really makes me squirmish. So I didn't pass my biology class. So my dad was like, you can still do it. You can go to the islands and go to med school. Um, or you can go to Wall Street and do investment banking. And I did investment banking. I tried it. And oh my God, it was like not for me. It was so intense and drew. It was just, I, I couldn't understand why people wanted to do it. So I decided to do consulting, which my dad didn't know what that was, but we talked about it. He understood it. He was like, oh, you're going to make money. That's great. Go do it. Um, <laughs> so, so that's how I became a consultant because it made money and <laughs> it was a prestigious, prestigious job in my dad's eyes. Awesome. So you started off in New York doing that. Can you just tell us a little bit about what you do as a strategy consultant? Because um, it's kind of one of those careers you sort of hear about, you know, like management consultancy, strategy consultancy, like what do you nitty gritty do? or What have you done in that field over the years? Yeah, sure. So it depends on like what kind of firm you work for. So when I first started out, I was working for Deloitte Consulting, and then I moved to a startup firm. And now I do internal consulting. So they each have like their own different um, job descriptions per se. At Deloitte, it was very um, clients would come to us and say, hey, we're having this problem, we're struggling with something, can you come and help us? And this could be something so small that you would think, oh, why couldn't they just hire like a temp person to do it? Or it would be a really big strategy um, job that they were trying to figure out. So you would actually fly into the, the client side and you would actually build your office on the client side. So when I say that, you'd, you would like literally sit in a boardroom or at the cubicles next to your client that's paying you money to be there. And you just help them with whatever solution they're looking for. Um, when I worked for the startup, it was different because we had our own offices. And at that point, we actually had to go out and find clients. And then we would kind of work with them to develop a project. So sometimes they didn't know what their issue was, but we would sit down with them and kind of find the issues for them. And then now that I do internal consulting for a company, uh, it's getting to know all my lines of businesses and all my clients and really just helping them analyze their numbers and figure out where the problems lie. What motivates you about that job? Like what's your, what gets you up in the morning to go to work to do that? You know, what do you enjoy about it? I like being able to think big. I mean, it's a very strategic, strategic consulting is very creative in a sense. It's You get to use that creative side of your brain that you may not get to use if you're in finance or in engineering, because you're not playing with numbers per se, I'm looking at numbers, but I get to use those numbers to think really big, like what's the next big thing that we could be doing? Or how can we reimagine this whole business line and create something so new and different? And so for me, that's always been what has kept me in consulting is getting to use that lens of saying, okay, this doesn't just have to be a everyday job where I'm doing the same thing every day, I can kind of, I can kind of mix it up and think bigger. That's a really interesting take on things, actually, because people wouldn't normally associate 
a corporate job to be very creative, I wouldn't have thought, you know, certainly that isn't the first thing that comes into my mind. You know, um, I think about people in consultancy kind of tapping away on a spreadsheet or going to meetings <laughs> and that kind of creative aspect of it is, is actually really interesting and really relevant, but it's not something that most people would have thought of, I don't think. Yeah, I think it takes a while to get to that point where you actually get to feel that you're having um, a say in what you're doing. So I know like when I first started consulting, I was an analyst. And so it was the paper pushing. It was creating the spreadsheets and going to the meetings and inputting data and running numbers. And you really didn't get a chance to step back and see the bigger picture. But then when I moved to the startup, it was a smaller firm. So I really got that opportunity to really see, okay, this is what consulting is. This is it's we're coming up with solutions to help businesses and those solutions can be as narrow-minded or as broad-minded as we want them to be and that's what I that's what I love is the broad-minded part of it you've got quite a lot of strings to your bow I love um the description on your website you describe yourself as corporate America addict stand-up comedy lover improv teacher speaker of all things fun podcaster enthusiast and shoe junkie like that's (laughs) quite a long list which of those things we'll come on to talking about your comedy in a minute but which of those things is your favorite of the ones that you uh there's kind of many strings to your bow Shireen I think right now, I mean, the comedy thing is what's made me. I think that's how I would define myself when people ask you, like, what career path defines you? It would definitely be comedy. But I think right now my biggest passion is my podcast. Cool. And how do you split your time at the moment? Like, what would an average (laughs) week look like for you right now in terms of that is quite a juggle? You know, you've you are very successful in comedy as well. And you're doing your podcast and you've clearly got an amazing consulting career like how do you fit all that into your life (laughs) oh man that's a tough question it takes a lot of balance for sure and time management so the goal is to try to wake up an hour or two before I go to the office to do my personal work but that hasn't been working out so well for me (laughs) I just can't seem to get up in the morning um so really what I do is I mean I go to work I I'm at work by 9 a.m I'm home by 8 p.m on a good day and then from 8 p.m. till midnight, it's just being super efficient with my time. It's like there's no time for watching TV and like wasting time on the internet or social media. Once I get home at 8 o'clock, it's like my time to get stuff done. And that's probably the hardest thing. (laughs) That's a long day though. Like, you know, every day that's, if you're working through from kind of nine in the morning till midnight, like you're working hell hours. Like that's, that's very committed, you know, which is amazing, but it kind of shows that you have to be doing, you have to be putting the hours in to be successful, I think, don't you? Exactly. And it's funny because when I worked in consulting for Deloitte and when I worked in investment banking, my hours were, my hours were 7am till midnight or even one or 2am. And, and you think, okay, I'm putting in these long grueling hours for this great big paycheck, but I'm not seeing any of the benefits for myself. So why can't I come home at eight o'clock and still grind it out for myself? Right. And so that's how I look at it. Those four hours are to help me advance myself. Um, And if I was doing it when I worked for a company, why can't I keep doing it? Yeah, sure. So let's start about, uh, let's talk about your startup in comedy. Like how, where did that seed grow from? How did you go from being the quiet (laughs) child to the woman that's putting herself out there on stage? Because I just find that whole concept completely terrifying. (laughs) So it was really a weird situation. I had this person, this woman was staying at my apartment and at the time in Boston and I didn't know her. My parents knew her parents and they made her come stay at my house and I really hated the fact that she was there because she was just <laughs> annoying. <laughs> and, and also having someone else in your house is 
shitty. Like I would hate that too. <laughs> yeah. And she was only supposed to be there three days and three days turned into three weeks and I was losing my mind. And she also had, she didn't have a drinking problem per se, but she liked to drink. And so one night she was, she was going out to this comedy club and she was in my house and she took like five shots of vodka and then she was drunk. And I was like, well, you just can't just go outside by yourself at night. And <laughs> so I went with her. I was like, Oh my God, now I have to be this woman's babysitter. And I don't want to go to a comedy club. I'd never been to a comedy club, but for some reason in my head, I had already dismissed it as something that wasn't going to be interesting to me. Why do you think that was? You know, I don't know. I like when I think back about it, I don't know why I would have never gone to watch stand up comedy. Like it just when she wanted to go to it, I just I, it's not like I didn't like going out. Like I loved going out. We would go out clubbing all the time. I was a club promoter. We would drink and have fun. But I don't know, the whole idea of sitting down and watching comedy just didn't ever seem to be exciting to me. <laughs> sure. OK, well, you went this time, though. Yeah, I went this time and I hated it. Like I literally, she was so drunk. All her friends were wasted. And then there was just me, so sober Shireen sitting there. And it was a showcase of comedians. It was 10 men. And each guy came on stage and was worse and worse than the guy before him. And like the number of like jokes about their genitalia and farting and pooping. And I was losing my mind. <laughs> And so after the show, I went up to the guy who sold me the ticket, like at the door, there was a doorman who sold us our tickets. And I said, Hey, I want my money back. And he goes, he goes, you can't just get your money back. Like, what was the problem? And I said, it wasn't funny. Like you can't charge me $20 if it wasn't funny. And the owner of the club came over and he was like, you know, it's not that easy to make people laugh. And I was like, it can't be that difficult. I mean, come on. And he was like, no, it's really not that hard. I mean, it's not that easy. And so um, there was a woman there as well who was a comedian and she she told me to take this class. She was like, why don't you take this class and read this book and then come back and try it and then you'll see how hard it is. And I just took the challenge and went with it. And I signed up for the class. I got the book and what turned what was supposed to be just a hobby turned into like my full time passion. That's an amazing story. <laughs> I love they never that. gave me my money back. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever have you ever done comedy at that club since? I have. I did. I used to go there all the time then. And every time I would perform, I'd be like, so are you going to give me my money back? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so much better than those people, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I mean, I don't even remember who those people were, but I make myself laugh in my head all the time. So I can imagine how, how funny I am. <laughs> my husband always said to me, says to me that if you make yourself laugh, you'll never be unhappy, which I think is just a really good mantra for life. <laughs> Well, I like your husband because my boyfriend thinks it's going to get me a quick seat into a psychiatric ward. <laughs> Laughter makes you live longer. That is a well-known fact. Um, anyways. <laughs> oh, dear. Shireen, I like you a lot. Um, <laughs> um, so, so that's kind of was your hobby for a while. And that then translated into a kind of side career of its own. Like you've been on HBO and you've had quite a lot of publicity in the US and and a lot of success. How did that build out of what was essentially a hobby? Yeah, I think it was just the dedication I put to it. Like once I realized like that first time I got on stage, I mean at that point when I got on stage, I've been I've done skydiving and I've gone I've traveled and I've gone to do a lot of cool things and but that moment on stage, there was something about it that was just so thrilling. It was just an amazing rush that came over my body. And I, it's so hard to explain it until you actually find, I think, your passion and you get to experience what that feels like. But for me, it was, 
here I am. I was, I think at the time I must've been 25, 26 years old. I mean, I'm a Muslim American living in a post 9-11 United States. I had put up with so much racism based just on my religion, the color of my skin, um, things that I didn't ask for, right? Like I didn't ask for 9-11 to happen and I didn't ask for the backlash to affect me. And now I get to be on stage and share my experiences with people and they have to listen. I mean, nowadays people don't necessarily have to listen because they're like, oh, you can't tell me what to do. But back in the day, people had respect and they would sit quietly in a comedy show and they would listen. And it was just such an amazing feeling to be able to share your story and allow people to understand that just because I'm a brown Muslim woman does not mean that I'm a terrorist. And it was just, it was just fascinating to me. And just utilizing that like kept pushing me to keep sharing my story and sharing my story and the right people started hearing it. And um, I was able to brand myself and kind of just build myself up to this point where it was like, okay, I'm making moves and I'm getting to, I'm getting to break down stereotypes, which is what I really wanted to do. At the time Shireen started in comedy, there were very few female comedians, let alone any female Muslim comedians. I asked her what the situation was like now. Um, in the United States, I, there's a handful. There's maybe three or four of us. None of us have really made it to the same uh, same level as like Maj Jobrani or Azar Azim, but but I think we're getting there. But yeah, definitely. I mean, I live I lived in Boston at the time. I mean, there was no female Muslim comedian doing what I was doing when I moved to Philadelphia. Same thing. And now that I'm in Florida, like there's not a Muslim comedian within like God five hundred a thousand miles from me. So. For me, it's like I've gotten to carve out this niche market for myself, um, and I and I've been able to like maximize on that. And and don't get me wrong, I don't just talk about Muslim this, Muslim that, but I've created this story of this American girl who does American things, right? Like I go out, I drink, I have sex with my boyfriend. He's not Muslim. Oh my God, I'm living in sin. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, guess what? I'm Muslim. And people are like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> They're like, how can you be Muslim? Like you do American things. Well, because I'm being Muslim doesn't identify me as not being able to be an American. Mm -hmm. And actually that kind of representation is so important to have on stage, the diversity of, uh, of the com comedian, you know, comedic community needs to improve because you, you know, we still see the majority of comedians are white men uh, with a small number of women and an even small number of black and minority ethnic women as well. You know, like, it's just, like, I watch quite a lot of female comedy in the UK. I love to go into London to comedy, sh to comedy shows to watch female comedians. And their number is definitely growing, but that has been a big problem for a long time, that women are just not represented in comedy, really. And people think women aren't funny, which is just so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hate that. That is like the worst compliment you can give somebody. I hate it when I'm at a show, especially when women say it. Women will come up to me and be like, I don't find women funny, but you, you're funny. And I'm like, well, uh, thank you. I think. I'm not sure. Like, how should I react to that? <laughs> <laughs> is that a compliment? Kind of. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> But I think we're going to see more and more women coming out and doing comedy. I think now that there's this whole like, you know, Me Too movement and more women wanting to run. I know like in the United States are running for want to run for president and they've taken over Congress. And I mean, women are just showing are showing up now. People, women are saying, OK, I can do this. And and it, it's a hard it is a hard career for women. Like, I won't lie. I mean, you put up with some ridiculous stuff. I mean, not just from audience members, but from male comics and promoters are usually males and bookers are males. And I mean, it can get disgusting at times. So 
I mean, it's definitely it's definitely not the easiest career for women to be in. And how have you developed the resilience to to deal with that? Are you a naturally resilient person, do you think? Or have you had to kind of build a mechanism to help you with that? Oh, no, I am the most sensitive person ever. (laughs) (laughs) So in the beginning, it used to really irritate me. I think now that I've gotten a little bit further in my career, I mean, it takes a certain type of person to say something to me at this point. And usually now I've learned, and I've learned this in my career, I think. I think it was my career that taught me this first is, when people are nasty to you, it's because there's something wrong with them. There's an insecurity they're having to be such a nasty person to you that I've had to learn to just take that and say, okay, what whatever's bothering them has nothing to do with me. Um, it's their own problems. And so I've just had to learn how to utilize that in my corporate career and in, in comedy. Sure, sure, sure. You mentioned just briefly about uh kind of change in the audience I'm really interested have you noticed over the years that you've been doing comedy that there has been a big shift in the way audiences behave and the way comedians are received do you think oh yeah oh my god for sure I mean people are just becoming so sensitive um I I don't know how it is I haven't been to a comedy show in London in probably three or four years I don't know how it's changed there but here people people at one point if they didn't like you they would just sit there quietly and cross their arms right and they would just sit there and watch you now if they don't like you they will they will hurl insults at you they will walk out um there's been incidences of patrons audience members getting up on stage and becoming violent with the comedian i mean it is not it is a very unsafe profession in my opinion over the last maybe two years i would say since the since our presidential election in 2016 things have really changed in how audience members behave that's incredible uh ripple effect isn't it from the White House downwards, you know, that it's not just in the world of politics that we see intolerance and um, an increase in anger, I would say. Like, we you know, we have some fairly significant political problems happening here. And um, there's definitely like a feeling of intolerance in the country. But I'm amazed that that has kind of filtered down into the audiences becoming, you know, genuinely quite hostile. Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's it's not even them that being hostile, but they they have this sense of entitlement now where they feel like they can say what they want to say and they can act however they want to act because they watch their leaders doing that. And if their leader can say things on public on national TV, they're like, why can't I say this at a comedy show? Um, and it's scary. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. I mean, without getting too political, we have to hope for a change. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your podcast, Shireen. Um, do you want to tell everyone a little bit about Creative Breakthrough and when you started that, why you started that and what that involves? Yeah, sure. So Creative Breakthrough is a podcast where I spotlight successful creatives um, in their journey, whether it's in business, arts, design, fashion, what may it, as long as they're creative and really uh, picking people who will share real life strategies and inspiration with other creatives on their journey. Um, I started it because I felt like as a woman, minority person trying to be a creative, it was really hard for me to find mentors or a network of people who really understood where I was coming from. So a lot of a lot of the people that I know who are comedians or actors or whatnot um, are white Americans whose parents were very like well off and who supported their dreams and said, you can do this. I We have faith in you. And that's just not how it is for everyone. Like my parents didn't grow up in that kind of environment. 
Um, we weren't rich. So it was always like, you're going to get a good education. You're going to find a great job and then you're going to do X, Y, and Z. And so really trying to find mentors and a network of people who can support other creatives who have, how, who have different struggles, who, whether it's immigration, poverty, race, religion, culture, and really provide those real life stories and inspiration on how do you succeed and how do you win in the space? That sounds really awesome. And I was just interested what you said about, um, you know, struggling to find mentors, because that's one of the things I often talk to women about on this podcast is about, you know, mentors that they've had in their career and people that have helped them. Have you, have you had anyone that's really helped you with your comedy career in particular? I'm assuming in your corporate career, you've probably been, had a fairly structured career progression would, is generally my impression of kind of corporate America (laughs) like that. Is that true? Fair? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, in comedy, I haven't really been able to find a strong woman mentor. And again, it's because a lot of the women comedians that I know were just moved to LA, like their parents were like, here, we'll support you move to LA and we'll make it work for you. My parents won't say that to me. And so finding a mentor um, that really gets you is the purpose of my podcast. It's like people who have had struggles, people who have had to have those hard conversations with their parents, people who had to struggle and live in their car when they moved to LA. And so um, I I think mentorship can be hard because like even in corporate America, I have a few mentors, but they don't really understand me from the viewpoint of I want to pursue things outside of work. That really trips a lot of people up. They're like, why don't you just focus on your job and your career and like making it to a VP or president or CEO level? Like, what is all this other stuff you do on the side that's just slowing you down? And and so it's sometimes it's it can be really hard to find mentors who understand like both sides of both sides of the coin, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. And what do your parents think of your comedy career? Oh my God. <laughs> We have had, okay, so he, so before this year, like before 2018, my my parents were livid at the idea. Like when they first found out that I did comedy, they didn't speak to me for weeks. I mean, it, they, they didn't call me on my birthday to wish me happy birthday because they were so upset at me um, for doing comedy. Because for them, it was just, well, for my mom, my mom thought I was, the way somebody explained to her what stand-up comedy was, she thought it was stripping. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> So she really hated the idea that I was taking off my clothes. And my dad was just like, he just didn't like the fact that I was not focusing on my career. And he felt that if I had all this extra time to go out and do comedy, why couldn't I be studying for like going and getting my PhD or my doctorate or whatnot? Like for him, it was just like, what are you doing? Just as an aside, you have an MBA from one of the top schools in America already, don't you? (laughs) Because I know someone else that went to Edith Wharton and that is a hard (laughs) MBA program to get into. Yeah, I do have that. That was again, one of my dad's dreams. And so I accomplished it for him. Uh, (laughs) But now he's like, you could go get your doctorate and you keep wasting time on these silly hobbies. Like, can you get your act together? And so they, I mean, we used to scream about it, argue about it. They, they really hated it. And then last year, um, I had the opportunity to go to Lisbon, Portugal and host, um, the international talent show for this, for, for, um, talent from across the country. And it was a huge honor. It was in front of 45,000 people. Um, the Royal family was there and that, that really changed my dad's opinion, Um, Because I think he saw that I really was good at it. Like he finally, he actually finally saw it for what it was. Um, And that's changed the conversation a little bit in the house. Like, I mean, he still won't let me quit my job and do it full time. But now at least he's like, 
oh, you can't make it to dinner tonight because you have a show. That's okay. Versus before it was like, you're going to pick a show over picking dinner with your family and like make me feel all guilty about it. (laughs) Oh, that's cool. And so where do you kind of envisage, like what's your goal for your career? I'm really interested as to where you are hoping that your career will travel. Oh man, so many goals. I would love, love, love to take my podcast with my comedy on the road and do one of those like live shows where I would I would start off doing like 30 minutes of comedy and then we would do a live podcast interview and it would just be really focused on creativity. So it would be what whatever the topic is, like how do you structure a joke or how do you public speak or even having like well-known comedians come on the road with me to do interviews, something to a degree where it's like a one-man show or one-woman show. Um, I'd also love to write a one-woman show. I'd love to be like in the Edinburgh Festival yes. or like something cool like that where I get some international notoriety. I don't know. There's just so many. That's the problem with being a creative. I can't decide what I want. I just know I want it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to hit Hollywood and break through. So. I hope so. But that's the thing. I can't decide. Do I want to go through Hollywood as being an actor or a podcaster or a comedian? It's like pick one and go for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so difficult though, isn't it? Because there's so many things to do in life. And you're clearly just a very smart, very successful woman who is obviously, you know, going to make a success of whatever you choose to do. But picking one thing to go with is is just quite difficult, isn't it? Yes. Well, thank you. I appreciate that you have faith in me. <laughs> I definitely have faith that Shireen will achieve whatever she puts her mind to. She mentions it casually, but it's really not that easy to just take a few acting classes and subsequently appear in a couple of films or to just try stand-up comedy and become an international success. She has also clearly achieved an incredible amount in her corporate career to boot. Shireen is a real example of what can be achieved when you put yourself out there and explore what lies beyond your comfort zone. She is also clearly an incredibly hard worker with an unbelievable work ethic. And whilst working the hours that she does may not be sustainable for everyone, if you can do it, your productivity levels have the potential to go through the roof. Personally, I find the idea of doing stand-up comedy one of those things that might exist in my nightmares. The concept of a tough crowd or silence or insults being hurled at you is enough to make me feel a little uneasy just thinking about it. But as we've said so many times before, you only get used to uncomfortable situations by putting yourselves in them repeatedly. If you've identified any scenarios like this in your career and have mastered any techniques to pull through them, then do let me know because it is definitely an ongoing uphill battle for me. As usual, I threw open the metaphorical floor of the podcast to Shireen at the end of the interview and asked her if she had any nuggets of wisdom that she'd learned and wished to share. I think I think my biggest advice is like if you if there's a burning desire inside of you to do something, go do it. I mean, for me, it, it's been so many things. Like you said, it's I wanted to do comedy. So I did comedy and then I decided I wanted to act. So I went and learned how to act and I got to do a commercial and a couple of movies. And then I decided to start a podcast. And um, from all of that, I got to do radio and I get to do radio once a week now. And it's just you'll never know what doors will open for you once you actually take that first step. And I think a lot of people get scared to take that first step. Um and if, if there's anything I can say to you, it's the power of yes. Like, and I have a podcast episode about this and where I talk about like how saying yes will change your whole life. Like, I mean, I said yes to go to that comedy show 10, 15 years ago and it changed my life. Um, and so just always say, taking that opportunity to do whatever it is, because you never know what it's going to do for your life. Gosh, I love this woman. She is such an inspiration. 
I keep hearing people use the phrase, just go out there and do it. Clearly, the advertising team at Nike were really onto a winner with that one. But it is true. You can follow Shireen online at funnybrowngirl.com or on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at funnybrowngirl. I've linked to her podcast and all her social media on the show notes and just search on iTunes for Creative Breakthrough. That's it for today. As ever, if you've got any comments, suggestions or feedback, then do drop me a line. I love to hear from you. I say it every damn week, but please do subscribe if you haven't already. And feel free to leave us a nice review on your favorite podcast site, preferably iTunes to be quite honest, but I'm really not that fussy, as it helps others to find us. But more importantly, if you enjoyed it, spread the word, as word of mouth is still the most powerful form of advertising. You can follow us on Twitter at Smashing Ceiling and on Instagram at Smashing The Ceiling, and we will hopefully see you next week.